We're talking about finances. Let me give uh, two minutes. We started last week talking about God's laws of finances. And uh, I remember, I've always been interested in the universe. I remember as a kid, I'd go out and lie in the backyard and just watch the universe. It was just so amazing. When I was working up north, um, it was 40 below for six weeks straight, never changed. And I remember uh, dressed in my, my insulated hydro duck coveralls which is one piece, and they're insulated, and so I'm, I just tucked my hands on the inside. I remember laying on the top of the Nodwell, which is our, the unit that um, you, they drive to do all the track stuff back in the bush, and I could actually see, because it was so cold, I could actually see which stars were closer and which were further. I could see depth in the universe that I'd never seen before. And uh, so that's always been something. And so when I first started to study about finances, I, I wanted to get the right perspective on God, what he did, and whether or not he needs our money. So, Raina, why don't you go ahead and run that video?
Hallelujah. <laughs> I just love that because we think we're so important. We think we're the center of the universe. Our own galaxy is a hundred million light years across. hundred million. So I'm looking at that years ago and I thought, and you want my 10%. Why the heck would you even care about my 10%? I can see some of you are underwhelmed. Our galaxy, the Milky Way, has 100 billion stars in it. And the Hubble telescope has revealed an estimated 100 billion galaxies. And Jesus came and died on this planet for us. You know, one of these days I'll get into it. If you understand what I just said right there, you understand it it clears up everything about aliens. Because if you don't know Jesus and you look at that, you're like, got to be life on other planets. Like there's got to be life out there. But the Bible says that Jesus came to die for the one thing that could separate his creation from God. And that was sin. So he didn't die for, like, he didn't become something else. He became a human. So he's not going to have to become a, a, a zoomophoid spongord in 100,000 years to die for them because the whole thing already started with the humans. There's, there's no, there's, there, there isn't aliens out there trying to visit the earth, and it's, it's completely unscriptural. There's demons trying to pose as aliens that are trying to seduce us into, well, this is, you know, this is, we're your creators and all that kind of stuff. Um, But I wanted to show you that just to completely change your perspective on why God asked for money. Because he doesn't need it. Hallelujah. He doesn't need our money, but he needs our involvement. Let me give you a couple of quick things that we mentioned last week. Fully one-tenth of the Bible deals with money. That's 117 chapters or 3,600 verses. Jesus consistently spoke about money. This is the first time in five years that I've stopped and spent four weeks on money. So if you're here visiting with us, don't think we're just always asking for money. And I already took up the offering, so don't worry. But there's God's laws of finances that will work and cause us to prosper. Not only in that, but God has laws for all the things that that he has for us that we can prosper in. Jesus talked about the parable of the unjust steward. He talked about the rich man and Lazarus, the Pharisees that were covetous, the rich young ruler. He said you can't serve God and mammon, the parable of the talents and the minors, the parable of the rich fool, etc. Jesus said riches can be deceitful. And I said this to you last week that I realized something years ago that money is spiritual. I also realized that with uh, what my studies showed me, the scriptures that I gave you last week, quite a number of scriptures, that God has a financial structure that runs independent of the world system that will meet your needs and my needs and the needs of his church despite what's happening on the earth. And I shared this with you last week, that in Exodus, when the Lord met with Moses, the very first thing that he said to them was, have the people bring me an offering so that they can make me a sanctuary that I may dwell with them. And that principle runs all through the Bible. I realized uh, a number of years ago when the Lord was really restructuring church from the format that we've used and still use by and large. I mean, today was, you know, an exception where I felt the Holy Spirit, let's go over there. I want to do something for this nation. 
but there was four things that always happened at some point in when the people of God got together uh, to, to, to worship God. There was always some form of, of the word of God. There was always some form of worship. There was always some form of prayer, and there was always some form of giving. Those four things are always all through the word of God from Genesis to maps. <clears throat> they're, they're in there. Um, and so when we come together, the Lord will use certain things. But giving is one of the four things that God just always puts in the middle of, of what we do. And I think, you know, amongst other things, he just wants us to learn to be givers. But he said this to Moses, <clears throat> the first of the first fruits of your land you'll bring into the house of the Lord your God. Then Deuteronomy 17, 1, you will not sacrifice to the Lord your God a bull or a sheep which has any blemish or defect for it's an abomination to the Lord your God. And what I said last week as we talked about this was that you don't bring something <clears throat> uh, to God that is not the best, right? And my point on that was uh, that, that, that because it dishonors him. And so the same way that I, I heard this illustration years ago, the same way that you wouldn't buy a new box of chocolates and take out the three or four that you like and then give it as a gift to somebody, we do that with God. We get our money, we get our paycheck, we pay for all the things that are important to us, and then we give God the leftovers. And what the Bible talks about is when you give him what's left instead of what's first, it doesn't engage him at all because he says, that's, that's detestable to me. You're giving me what's left. You're, just, you're not even... Because what we say to God when we don't give him that first fruits, or I'm, I'm using first fruits and tithe is the same thing. We're telling him, I trust me to run my finances more than I trust you to run my finances, so I'll give you 10% if I have it at the end. And you see throughout the word of God that he always comes and asks for the first and the best. He never changes. Why? Because that engages him. When you step out and you say, okay, I trust that you are going to get involved in my finances. I'm going to give you my first and my best. When you do that, you step out in faith. I have never met anybody that said to me before they were tithing, oh, yeah, I, oh, I can totally afford to tithe. Every person that I've talked to, including ourselves, when we first started tithing, it was like, well, we're going under. Like, this ain't going to work. How many of you have tithed for longer than you can remember? Okay, how many of you have tithed? Just put your hands up. I want to see. How many of you tithe for, you just have tithed. You learned it as a kid. Okay, so it's about half of us. Good. Do you know they say the average in the North American church, the average number of people that tithe is less than 10%. And we wonder why the church has to go to the bank to borrow money from the bank to get a new building. Why does the church have to go to the world system to borrow from the banks, which, by the way, aren't in it for you to make money? For every dollar that a Canadian bank takes in, they can lend out 27. In America, their rules are a little stricter, and that may have changed over the last few years with, with 27. But in America, it was for every dollar you put in the bank, they lend out 16. What percent of interest do you think they're getting on lending out $16 for the one that you put in? And how much are you actually getting back? What's your interest that you're getting back in your best account on that? The banks are not in it for you to prosper. Don't get me started on the banks. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your possessions, first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So we honor the Lord with our first fruits. Don't bring him what's last, bring him what's first. From Abel, bringing the firstborn of his flock in Genesis 4, to the kings of the earth, bringing their wealth to him in the millennium in Revelation 21, we see the covenant of giving God our first and our best stamped on the earth. 
<clears throat> now, go with me over to Genesis 14. I want to show you. This is where the first time God actually gave them a number. You need to understand something about the way that the, 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 the Lord does things. And I, I won't get to it today. I'll probably get to it next week. In, in talking about, okay, well, we give by grace. And people use that as an excuse. <clears throat> and it, it, I, so I ask people, okay, well, so do you forgive by grace? In other words, when you want to. Do you pray by grace? Yeah, I just, you know, I pray by grace whenever I want to. I give by grace. God gives us patterns in the word that helps us to establish laws of continuance in our life. We pray and we learn to pray and then we learn to pray more effectively, but you don't pray once in a while. When you feel like it, you develop a lifestyle of prayer. If you don't develop a lifestyle of prayer, you'll find that prayerlessness means that you're running your own life. Y'all are here, right? I'm jumping right in, right? I'm just, it's because of what we did with, once I get that Canada anointing and, and see what, what the devil's trying to do in Canada, I just spent the week with 12 people from across the nation from all different ministries and businesses talking about the nation. And it's unfortunate because some of them are very focused on the negative and that's part of what they do. <clears throat> but the Lord has always got me. He said, you, you be aware of what the enemy is doing, but you focus on what I'm doing because what I'm doing is bigger than what he's doing and it takes longer. And I wish it didn't take longer, but sometimes it does. So God's got these principles that when we implement them, certain what I call laws of continuance, when you begin to do them and you begin to do them consistently, they begin to align your life with God's plan for that particular area. Whether it's walking in love, whether it's having a great marriage, whether it's you know, developing your intellectual ability, which you can do, whatever we deal with in, 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 in earth, God has something to fix in the heavens. And it's in his word, and that's how we do it. Genesis 14. <clears throat> this is where um, Abram's nephew Lot was taken captive in the war of the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. So, so I'm going to read fast, so listen fast. Genesis 14, 13. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and brother of Aner. They were allies with Abram. When Abram heard that his brother was taken captive... He armed his 318 servants who were born in his house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, after his return from the David of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. So Mel comes out with a covenant meal and he blesses Abram. And in response to him, Abram, Abram, Abram gives him the first fruits or the first 10% of all of his increase. This was before the law. Where'd that number come from? How'd Abraham know to give him 10%? You'll see this principle. <clears throat> then with Moses, the instructions were very specific as God worked with the nation of Israel to infuse the 10% principle into their economy so that not only could he bless the individuals in their sacrifices, and there was different kinds of sacrifices. The blood sacrifice was to take care of sin, but many of the other sac and some of the other sacrifices. But you'll find out that he said, I want you to bring me the first fruits of your lambs, of your crops, of your fruit, of your flocks, of whatever. I want you to bring me every year. So when you get a new crop of grapes, bring me the 10%. 
The Bible makes it simpler and says the first fruits are the first 10% of all your increase. Because people have asked me, well, how do, how do I know when I say, what's your increase? Right? So many of you uh, blessed me last weekend because it was my birthday, 51 years old. And um, yeah. name it and claim it, right? <laughs> and hope to heck it works. And um, so that was a blessing for me. So this morning, my offering was the first fruits from that. My offering was 10% of what came in. Why? Because that was increase for me. And you know, the thing is, once you get used to doing it, it becomes a holy habit. You don't even think about it anymore because when you take off that first 10% and give it to God, he blesses the next 90% and makes it go much further. And we've been doing this now for 40 years. So, <clears throat> so what was interesting, these guys gave, what was interesting also was that the priest who received the people's tithes also had to tithe the top percent. So the people brought the best of what they had to the priests, and then the priest took the 10% of the very best of what they were given and burned it on the altar and gave it to God. So that principle goes all the way up. Now, so to us, the Lord would say, instead of every you know, uh, group of lambs or calves or goats or fruit, the Lord would say, every, bank, every paycheck, every new bank deposit, every time you receive increase, give me the first 10%. <clears throat> now think about this. The only time that Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God was when he was talking about God and mammon and meeting our daily needs. The only time that Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God was in Matthew chapter six and it's in the other chapters, but it's in the context of you cannot serve God and mammon. How can you tell when you're serving mammon? Because your money tells you where it's going to go. You don't have enough to give money to Prem for his new vehicle. You don't have enough to help a brother out that's poor. You don't have enough to give to an offering for a missionary. Or a, you don't have, your money tells you. Now, I'm not saying every time you walk into church, you throw everything that's in your pocket. Because when I first came back to the Lord, I did that. I just gave all the time. I mean, I was working construction and I was renting a, a, a room in the house that my mom had moved out to Victoria and she'd rented a house and there was four rooms in there and, and four of us rented rooms uh, to help pay that rent. And that's where I met Anne. She rented the room across the, the street, across the street, yeah, across the hall from me. So I tell people we lived together for a year before we got married. But uh, renting out those rooms I got married and my wife said at how much I was giving, because I'm, I'm not detailed on the monthly, month end reconciliation. <laughs> I have a pretty good idea of what came in and what went out. My wife, who won't be here till the second service, is detailed down to the penny. How many of you are penny? You know the pennies. Yep. Oh, be honest, come on. How many of you, to be honest, your spouse is that way? Yeah, see, there's a whole bunch of you put your hands up there because they wouldn't put their hand up. And she realized what I was giving every month because I was brand new in this and I thought, I thought this is the blessing of the Lord. We can, God, we give and God, and my wife said, uh, <clears throat> you can't do that anymore. I said, what? And you know how you get religious? I'm giving to God. And she said, honey, these are our bills now. 
And she actually had to help me be a better steward. So I get it. I get the thing that you need to be a steward. I've had people come and put checks in the offering and those checks go, and they stretch about that big. And we have to give them a nice little call and say, remember that faith check you wrote? There was no faith in it. So I get it. Okay, y'all got that? I get that side. But you have to understand, <clears throat> when Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, the only time he said that in Matthew 6 was comparing God and mammon. You serve mammon by mammon telling you when you will or will not give. If mammon, if, if you say, I can't afford to tithe, mammon is ruling that you're thinking. As a matter of fact, you got the whole thing backwards because you haven't learned, which is why we're doing this, teaching on what it is so you can see, wait a minute, I can get God involved in this. Now, our act of faith always comes before the action of the Lord. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. You speak to the mountain, right? Clive prophesied it this morning to, that lift up your rod. Moses was complaining to God. God said, lift your rod up over the water. God didn't part the water and say, by the way, Moses, there was an action that was needed in the earth side for heaven and earth to act together. That's why the Lord did what he did this morning with our prayers. He waits for and speaks to those who will pray for the nation because there's a covenant blessing when the people of God stand up and say, in Jesus' name, we are asking for this. We are praying for this. We are calling out. That's a covenant request from covenant people that God comes and looks at and says, I have a right to answer that prayer because those people have received the sacrifice of my son and we are in covenant together. You understand something? Devils need permission to operate on the earth, which is why they seek embodiment. That's why when a devil is cast out, it goes into dry places seeking rest and it goes and finds seven other spirits worse than itself. They come back to the person and that devil now with the temptation, but seven times stronger, the person gives them permission. They fall again into their addiction, into their sinfulness, into whatever it is. And as soon as they fall in sin, it opens the door and those spirits come back and inhabit. They need permission to work in the earth realm. Don't cast us out. Send us into the pigs, right? Are you following me? So we have authority in the earth realm because we've been born here. And Jesus talks about that a little bit. Now, God knew that we would need a system or a practical way of partnering and engaging with him with money. <clears throat> so from the very beginning, he set up the law of first fruits with a set number of 10% that would never change whether you're rich or poor <clears throat> or it was the standard across the board. Remember what I said to you. The purpose of tithing is to cause consistent, unchanging supply of your basic needs. I'm going to say that again. I, I learned this probably 15 years ago, and at first when I said it to the church, it shocked the church. I said, tithing won't make you rich. That's not what it was designed to do. Tithing was designed to meet your needs. When you tithe, you invoke a covenant of provision where God takes care of your basic needs. What's actually interesting is that, no, oh, I hardly can go there, but, but the same way that God said, you know what, I already take care of the birds and I take care of the flowers and I'll take care of you. So, so the, the smallest faith, oh ye of little faith, he said to them in, in Matthew chapter six. Why do you worry about what you're going to eat? 
what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live, what you're going to drive. Why do you worry about those things? Your father knows that you need those things. Oh, ye of little faith. Jesus called us worrying about our rent little faith. Do you know how the, did the first step to break out of little faith? You take that step forward and say, I'm giving you the 10%. I'm giving you the first 10%, no matter what happens. And I've got so many testimonies over the years of people that did that, and I'm, trying to, I'm going to try and read some of those to you. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 16. Paul brought up giving your first fruits with the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 16. In verse 1, it says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also on the first day of the week. Let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. What's he saying? Before you start the next work week, before you enter into next week's bills, next week's gas, next week's issues, they would get paid differently back then, sometimes on a daily basis, but then sometimes over the course of a week and depending on the kind of thing, if it was a salary, yada, yada. But what he's saying here, before you start the next work week, first thing, lay something aside right off the top as you have prospered the following week. Well, what were they gonna lay off? How do you know what you prospered? They came out of the law and they understood <clears throat> or Paul was speaking to the Jews coming out of the law, they understood that 10% was something that they gave to God. So you'll see this as we go through this in the next couple of weeks because I'm going to bring it into the New Testament and explain it a little bit more, but I'm, I'm trying to go fast today just for shortness of time. Here's something I think you'll find interesting. Remember that Paul said to Timothy that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil? I learned years ago that you can commit the, love of, the sin of the love of money when you don't have any. How can you be assured that your heart is always right and your motive is always right. When you give God your first and your best, it keeps your heart safe from the love of money. I'm gonna say that again. When you give God your first and your best, it keeps your heart safe from the love of money. If the love of money is the root of all evil, then that means that when I give place to what money tells me to do, I could be giving place to the love of money because if I give this to God, what's gonna happen over here? There's no other way to step across that supernatural bridge than to say, I'm putting you first. And what you do when you do that is cleanse your heart from the ability of the love of money to pull you back in because now you're telling your money where to go and, and instead of the money telling you where it's going to go. You need to pay. And, and you guys, I understand when I say that, that it generates several questions. I've had people come up and ask me every kind of question in the world over the years. Well, I'm on, I'm on uh, unemployment insurance. What do I do with that? I'm a single mom. I've got three kids. What do I do with that? Uh, I want to tithe, but my husband doesn't believe in it. What do I do? Do I follow God's laws or follow my husband? And we talked about all those things over the years. And there's variations on a theme. If you're here and your husband doesn't believe and you go into church or you giving money to the church, then you follow your husband in regards to tithing from what he and you make. If you, if you can work it out, I've had many ladies say to me, uh, you know what, we worked it out. He says, I can tithe off of what I make. 
but he doesn't want me to tithe off of what we make. I said, he's the authority in the home and I'm not gonna subvert that authority because I don't wanna cause division. And if you're an unsaved guy and you're at home and your wife's going to church, you think, well, the church, they just want your money anyways, right? I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the programming that's in the world. That's it. <clears throat> and so there's, there's answers to all these things, but what I'm doing in the short time that we have is just going boom, boom, boom with some of the principles. And as I said, I'm gonna try and break them down a little bit in the next two to three weeks as we have opportunity. So if the love of money opens the door to all kinds of evil, giving God our first fruits of the top 10% does just the opposite. It circumcises our heart and frees us from the love of money and opens the door to the love of God <clears throat> kingdom ways. Let's finish with this. Go with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, verse 18. Now a certain ruler, and Matthew's gospel says, came running and knelt down before him and asked him, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. Did you ever ask yourself why Jesus said that? Was Jesus good? Was he as good as the Father? That's where you nod your head, north and south. He was the sinless lamb of God. So why did Jesus say that? That's where you've got to stop and go, wait a minute. What you got to? Because the rich young ruler's perspective of goodness was twisted. So he was projecting what he thought was good on Jesus. And Jesus turned it right back around and basically said, your concept of goodness is not right, which is what he goes on here. Because look at what he says to him. You know the commandments. And, and the guy asks him, Jesus says to him, have you come up the commandments? But he says, it, Luke's different here. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And all these things he said I have kept from my youth. So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have. Distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was rich. So the rich young ruler comes up to him and he thinks, I've done all these things ever since I was a kid, ever since my bar mitzvah. Man, I did all this stuff. <clears throat> you know, he was probably rich because he did all those things. Add to that that he had a gift from, from God. He had a gift of, of the ability. I've known people who, never, who graduated from junior high school and they're multimillionaires because of their gift to make money. If you have a gift to make money, remember what the scripture says, that you that are, are, are wealthy, be generous. Be generous in your giftings. Be generous in, in who and what you give to. But here's this guy comes up and he's the, you know, he's the catch meow. He was a rich young ruler, would have been shown by his clothes. People would have known him in the area. <clears throat> and he says, uh, good teacher. Why? Because Jesus was doing something that he could never do. And that was the miracles and the healings and all that kind of stuff. But Jesus turns it around and says, no, 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 no. You've based your goodness on all the stuff that you've done and what you have. So it's very interesting because we were just talking about the love of money. Jesus goes right to the root here and says, you still lack one thing. Sell all you have, distribute to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard this, he was very sorrowful for he was rich. What was his problem? The love of money. Can't serve God and mammon. Jesus was trying to help him break the one thing that would keep him from being a true disciple. One thing stood in the way. 
the love of money. It's as evidenced by this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. <clears throat> Interesting, if you continue reading, Jesus goes on to say that for those who've given up houses or lands or this or that, they shall receive many times more in this present age and in eternal life in the age to come. Jesus was offering this guy, I mean, how many guys did he say directly to, you come and follow me? Think about this. Jesus had Judas as a treasurer. So he's got a thief operating as his treasurer. This guy knows how to run money. This guy knows how to think money. He knows how to do things with money. He's wealthy. The one thing that stopped him from being potentially one of the 12 was his love of money. And if, if he'd have given everything to the poor, God would have built him back up on the other side and given him 100 times more. The Bible says 30, 60, or 100 fold. Jesus wasn't trying to make him poor. Jesus was trying to deal with the heart that said, I love money. And he went away sorrowful and he missed a potential discipleship because of his love of money. Man, oh man, I remember reading that and thinking, huh, Jesus didn't care how much he had. He cared about what had him. His money had him. Isn't it interesting? Why don't you go ahead and stand up? Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't just say, you know what, just, just release a big offering to the poor. Because he, he, he could have done that. And he didn't say, you know what, just give your 10%. If the guy was keeping all the laws, he was already giving his 10%. Right? right. He said, everything you have, sell it and give it to the poor. His house, his chariot, all of his furniture, all of his fancy clothes, and come and follow me. Mm, no. Too bad. Now, you know, some of us wish that we had that test. That we had so much that the Lord had to say, come and, and you know, because I remember, you know, we had an old beat up car years ago and I was waiting for the Lord to say, sell that car and give it to the poor. I was like, yes, hallelujah. We'll dig into this a little bit more, talking about some sowing and reaping. We'll talk about the different kinds of giving. But you need to see something. Remember what I said, Mammon's on one side and God's on the other side. It doesn't matter if you're poor or rich. If you give God the first and the best, mammon will never grab a hold of your heart. You'll always guard your heart from mammon. God, you, give my, you get my top 10%. <clears throat> and I'm gonna talk about where you give it to and what you do give it to. I'm gonna talk about what a tithe is and what a tithe isn't. Somebody said, I tithe my time. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> because whatever you sow, you reap. Well, then you'll reap back time. Right? The laws of sowing and reaping. Well, I tithe my time. Well, that's good, but your finances won't change. You'll still struggle with all the same things financially that you do because you've, you've misapplied the laws. I have to stop. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the worship team this morning playing something in the background. <laughs> I wonder what's going to happen now in second service. Dear Lord. You know, it was all nice and soft until Pastor Clive got up. Did you notice that? It was all, all worshipy and wonderful. And then, then we went nuclear and the intercessors blew off the floor and all that sort of thing. We're going to have some prayers here this morning if, if you need prayer. Father, I just thank you for your grace this morning. We believe that there was a, a missile launched from here this morning over the nation of Canada. 
And Lord, even as we talk about these financial things, I pray for increase for your people, for jobs, for increase in business, for raises, for new ideas and creative things. As we align ourselves with your laws, you love to bless your people. And I speak that over you this morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he lift up the light of his countenance upon you this morning and give you peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed, everyone. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us online today. I hope the message encouraged and blessed you. You know, you can stay up to date with all things Southside by following us on social media, downloading our app, or checking out our website at svcf.ca. You can also get to know more about my wife and I by following Times of Refreshing on Facebook and Instagram. And thanks everyone for joining us today and building a community of believers together. Have a great week. And you know what? When you get a chance, come and join us here at the church in Calgary. You'll be blessed by it.